0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 286th episode of MTG Fast Finance, your MCs for an infinite three-ring circus of space marines, cyber ninjas, and Chun-Li hobbits, jumping sharks till your wallets are well and truly bled to the bone. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Jilcott, a.k.a. at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co host this week is Travis Allen at Wizard Bumpin' on Twitter, and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering.
1: Good evening, James. Good evening, everybody. Glad to be here. A little less glad to be here this week than normal after today's announcements. Oh, you, uh, you, you, you got some,
0: you've got some commentary, to you?
1: Mm, no, yeah. Uh, uh, surprisingly, A I may have may have feedback. Right. Uh, looking forward to sharing all sorts of valuable information with all of you. Let me put it this way: How often do you hear me drinking beer on the cast? And I have uh, have one open at the moment. Our show is produced by Mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community sign up today at mtgprice.com
0: to plan your specs chat on discord and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby mtg fast finance is proudly sponsored by cool stuff inc where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock including all the best in magic the gathering single sealed product and a plethora of other collectibles use the promo code finance5 that's the number five during checkout at coolstuffinc.com to save five percent off your order and support this podcast travis 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 they gave us a little bit of breathing room after uh, adventures in the forgotten realms but here we are facing the full slate of product releases for 2021 all of 2022 and on into 2023 based on the huge stream from wizards today so i assume we have some things to talk about in multiple segments perhaps
1: yeah, I'm going to try not to dive too deep into all the announcements as we work our way through here. But I suppose it will be inevitable that we will touch on them as we go. But it was uh, it was a big dump of data. There's a couple weeks there where we weren't sure what we were going to talk about. And now this week we have too much.
0: The way of things. Yeah,
1: Feast or Famine, which uh, is a card, I believe, right?
0: Yeah, I'm sure it is. Everything is. Uh,
1: is it? Wasn't that one of the you know maybe feast or famine oh i'm thinking of the sword sort of feast and famine but there is no feast or famine card
0: you sure there's no there's no double-sided no split I, card
1: I, I really thought there was but i'm looking through Scryfall and i do not see one it's just sort of feast or famine all right i well, hear you, you typing like you don't believe me. I, I'm, <laughs> you I'm double i'm like double like checking because
0: <laughs> we, we've been wrong before but the go ahead give, give me the the segment breakdown my friend
1: yeah, yeah. So second one, our MTGO Metagame week Review. I didn't realize that you were trying to give me a transition there. I was just... Uh, our MTGO Metagame week Review, we'll talk about some modern challenges here. Um, maybe Pioneer in the future, given today's announcement. Uh, segment two, our top paper movers. Uh, a bunch of stuff for Tiamat, it would seem. Along with our MTGO movers. Segment three, some cards to watch. We've got a slate for you to choose from this week. And finally, our topic of the week, uh, the, t- the the big announcement that just happened a couple hours ago. We got a huge dump of information, so we'll chew through as much of that as we can. But let's hop in here at the top before we get too deep. The Modern Challenge from August 21st, um, taken down by Jun Saga with the, the 4 Urza Saga, 4 Ragavan. There's a Lurus in there, but this, this seems like a relatively new I mean, new is in the last about week or two um, iteration where they've got, you've got sort of a mid-range Jund deck here with Ragavans, uh who are kind of playing up a little bit, and but Urza Saga main deck as well, which is just essentially just, these cards are so good they are transcending all archetypes at this point.
0: Yeah, the story about a month ago was that Jund wasn't good enough for the new meta. Now we're back around the corner where they're like, well, yeah, but what if we put four Urza Saga in it? And the other player goes, What is three color deck? Can't can't play a colorless land in three color deck, and they're like, Yeah, but it makes creatures for free all the time and pulls out our sideboard cards. Huh. Yeah, I guess that's true. Well, we'll just put like an Exped- expedition map, four Mishra's bauble, a Nile spell bomb, a python needle, and a pyrite spell bomb all in the main. We have Lurus in the board and then saga. And between Luris and Saga, we're gonna go pull whatever we need whenever we need it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it is a good card. It, you know, Jund has always been about sort of these these twenty percent advantage plays to add up over the course of the game and Urza Saga is gonna do that for him.
0: And if you wanna look at like, you know, what, what else is different here versus your traditional Jund deck, this is lower slung. It's four run and six, two casting cost, four dragons rage channeler and four ragavan, as you said, that both one casting cost, Harmagoy back back at the in the hunt for trophies apparently. Um, but also only two casting costs. And then everything else is ones, right? Like, all the artifacts are ones uh, or zeros, and the sorceries and Instance are IOKs, Thoughtseize, Lightning Bolt, Unholy Heat, all at one. So it's just, it's a faster Jund deck.
1: The Yeah, the uh, the Return of Tarmogoyf, because of Urza Saga, is kind of amusing to me. You get your lands pretty quickly, and it adds enchantment, which was always one of the harder card types to get into the graveyard. They were playing, like, Seal of Fire and things of that nature. But now, rather than suffering to play enchantments this is a card that you're basically already happy to play and then you get enchantment on top of it and it takes a little bit of pressure off the fetch lands as well um allows them to, to do their mana base up a little bit differently so it's overall seems to be a, a solid mix here and the Mishra's baubles too kind of like doing work to help smooth out the land and adding artifacts i mean you're getting the full suite there for Tarmogoyf these days i mean i would imagine those are usually coming down at six or seven power by what turn four
0: well and there's some other real cute stuff here too right because dragon's rage chandler has delirium so a saga in the yard is two card types by itself because that's an enchantment land and Mm -hmm. and you also have renin six being real cute bringing sagas back from the graveyard
1: yeah yeah there is uh some good stuff there
0: so this is this is a very streamlined thoughtful approach to this list um, and certainly worth keeping an eye on some of these, you know, Jundier staples like Goyf to see if they're going to catch the movement. Uh, it's a it's a tough meta to to hang in uh, for more than one week. So as per usual, you know, you just put this on the watch list and see how 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 often Jund manages to make top eight. Moving on with the rest of this challenge from the twenty first, we've got Blue White Control in second, running two Solitude in the main, four Shark Typhoon. Uh, four prismatic ending three supreme verdict four counterspell we talked uh, over the last couple weeks about how counterspell has gone from an experimental one or a two of to the full four uh even though they still have access to archmage's charm and cryptic command they've gone down to two cryptic uh and they're using the full suite of counterspells and charms uh boros burn makes one two three appearances in across both challenges out of 16 deckless um, that's pretty impressive because burn has been largely absent uh, up until this point uh, but I, I saw a commentary on Twitter people talking about how this was just a the correct build for the list given the existing meta um, I think a lot of that that has to do with what they have access to in the sideboard uh, of course burn is a little better just because Lurus exists because they can bring their idolons their Goblin guys their monastery Swift spears back Um and this is just sets a clock, right? This is the same old thing we've seen, not super, super different, just tuned to address the meta, but uh, present and accounted for, and doing some work. Mm-hmm. It's a
1: it's a solid build, and I saw Patrick Sullivan and those guys debating whether it was uh, you were supposed to play Luris or not, and overall, it seemed to be that that was the case. Which is, you know, if you've got Patrick Sullivan saying that Byrne should be playing Luris, you should probably be playing Luris.
0: We've got Blue Black Mill showing up in yet another top eight. Uh, this version running the eight crabs, four fractured, fractured sanity, four Tasha's hideous laughter. Uh, completely absent is Glimpse the Unthinkable. And the one I keep forgetting that was in Zendikar Rising last fall. Maddening Cacophony. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So with, with those two off the table, uh, it's unfortunate for anybody that was hoping the advent of blue black mill would push them higher, but certainly interested in the f- best available versions of Fractured Sanity and Tasha City's Laughter because blue black mill may not be tier one or tier 1.5, but it must at least be tier two um, given how often we're seeing it show up.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm lukewarm on chasing really, you know, the strong promos of these cards But, time will tell, I
0: suppose. One of the the issues to consider when prioritizing between that and something else, like, say, I don't know, Borderless Endurances or Ragavans before they took off, was the breadth of lists using the cards in question. You know, mill isn't really there for EDH yet, so going after something like a Fancy Tasha's Hideous Laughter instead of, you know, a Foil Dragon's Rage Channeler or something that's showing up in six or seven different lists it's just a, a function of sure blue black mill is real but take a look at it's all about supply if you have very niche card usage like a living you know foil living end was one of my picks in in recent weeks basically only shows up in one deck and ditto for the mill cards
1: right well and that's a big challenge with the mill stuff in particular is exactly that you're just worried about uh you know, if people are only playing at Commander in Commander, then it's like, yeah, okay. I mean, that's not or in EDA in modern <laughs> in modern that's not terrible, but I, you know, you would ideally have some casual or you know super casual demand when you're going after that stuff, sort of because it's a relatively niche competitive deck to begin with.
0: And especially right now, there are so many good specs floating around that you can you can afford to be choosy. Yeah. Um Black Riot Aggro, uh they of the Dothy Void Walkers, DRCs, Croxas, Ragavans, and Turoks. Uh, a bunch of discard and, and kill spells, and of course lurus Luris plus Mishra's Bobble being near ubiquitous in a lot of these low slung lists. And then Grixis Aggro Control, which really isn't that different than the fifth place <laughs> list, <laughs> but does have more control elements because they're running, you know, four expressive iteration three iok and two thought sees but then on the yeah 14 instance to the black reds nine and it's drown in the lock Coligan's command lightning bolts terminates thought scours and unholy heats they also have the lurus plus mistress bubble package and the blue is for two snapcaster mage and a jvp at jason's prodigy uh seeing a little top eight modern play in 2022 2021 <laughs> 2021 jeez you
1: yours yours not over yet Whatever year it is, uh, yeah. I mean, I'm gonna nitpick over the name control, but in any case, it's a this is a fascinating tweak. I mean, people have wanted like a mid rangey Grixis deck to be playable in Modern for a long time, and this is doing a bit of work there for him. It's a lot of spicy cards in here.
0: I mean, I called it Ego control because it's it basically has the cards to get knock your opponent off their game, clear the path, get one of these threats in, and start. Steamrolling, that's tempo. Okay, I'll buy that. <laughs> Boros Burn in seventh, Charbelcher making a rare appearance in eighth. Remember when everybody thought this was dead? This is yeah. the this is Charbelcher plus all the DFC lands from Zendikar Rising, and uh, probably just slid right off everybody's radar.
1: <laughs> hey, look, Strike It Rich. I I talked about that card. I talked about Strike It Rich. You did.
0: Yep. Travis said during the. Uh, mh2 set review hey this could do something this could be a card and someone
1: may cast this magic card and lo and behold someone casted the magic card
0: yep they did indeed
1: uh yeah this is real funny to see this coming back again i kind of forgot that this had existed
0: for that hot minute this is the deck that anybody that bought a lot of znr product is like win the tourney win the tourney <laughs> is, is, is there a
1: is there a block zendikar rising block modern deck yes actually <laughs> basically it yes
0: it's right here yeah my uh,
1: god this is actually like really heavily
0: oh yeah it's all the dfc flip lands
1: yeah that's funny buy a box of dxm and xenocar rise you and you're three quarters of the way there
0: yeah so uh pretty interesting top eight and again gotta say it modern looks healthy i, I don't remember it ever looking any more healthy that's for sure and right on over to the other challenge, we got Blue-Red uh, Murktide, which was absent in the first top eight, but took first in the second. Blue-White Control looking very much like the other second-place deck, also in second here. Shardless Footfalls, not to be forgotten. Boros Burn, the third uh, appearance in, across the two tourneys. Living End in fifth. yogmoth Combo in sixth. Hammer Time in seventh. And Living End again in eighth. There's at least 10 to 12 viable decks in this format.
1: Mm hmm. For sure. For sure. And I mean, like, there's definitely like probably it seems like three ish decks floating in and out of the the top spot on any given week. But, you know, with no major competitive events generally creating a, a true grind and or a true um a true crucible to harden a, a, a firm top two or three, it does give it a little more wiggle room. And at the same time, you have, uh, you know, player skill can matter so much beyond the deck choice that, uh, I, I, yeah, I would argue that you could show up with probably one of 10 decks to any random modern event and have a very reasonable chance at taking first.
0: Maybe we can take a look next week at, you know, over the last eight weeks or so, what's the total count of each of these archetypes to try to figure out what our top three is. My guess is, is that we're probably looking at Hammer Time, Shardless Footfalls, and Blue-Red Murktide as the true Tier 1 Gauntlet. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Some cool stuff in here, regardless. Uh, okay, so Modern Challenge, the second one here... Uh,
0: we, got, we got that all taken care of. The Moving on over to Top Paper Movers... Uh, we're looking at Kaya Orzov, Surper out of the Mythic Edition Ravnica Legions version, going from thirty-seven to fifty or so. It's only thirty-five percent, but the down to ten listings with a real steep ramp. So I wouldn't be selling these in the thirty to fifty-dollar range right now. I would be putting them aside and looking for your an exit, maybe ten or twenty dollars up the ramp.
1: The Mythic Editions. Hmm. I'm not sure what I think here. I mean, if if there's that few listings, then that's probably a good position. And I yeah, and I suppose we're pro- we're not going to see these again. I'm wondering if they're going to give us any more promo copies, secret layer, but it's unlikely at this point too. So if if the inventory is that low and this is a couple years old now, right, then uh, sitting tight on these is probably the right play. I think so. If you're, if you're paying thirty bucks for them, especially because
0: this this isn't some kind of hype spike. Like this isn't being driven by any like one particular impetus this is just a slow steady drain as this card gets used in a, in a couple of different formats um, yeah. over a longer period of time it's also worth noting that sarkin unbroken copies have been supporting an 80 to 100 price tag recently and if the dragon specific planeswalker can support that that price point for the mythic editions then kaya can certainly do a little better since she's a little bit more open-ended in terms of her where she fits in
1: oh yeah yeah, she is definitely more useful than, I think, every version of Sarkin at this point.
0: She's decently positioned to do some work in Modern, you would think, given that she exiles permanents of one casting cost or less, right?
1: Yeah, exile two cards from a graveyard. You gain two life if you got rid of a creature card, so that could definitely have relevance in some metas. And just exiling a non-land permanent with a, a small permanent, so if Death's Shadow gets a little more popular, if, like if those... Uh, the card the blue card whose name escapes me at the moment that they're playing with their death shadows, um that suppresses creature abilities, deep deep dive or something.
0: Dress down, down is the two Dread mana down. two mana thing, but it's really about Ragavans, uh, DRCs, Dragon's Ra- Dragon Rage Channelers, um, uh the creatures in Hammer Time, the Hammer yeah. and you know, the all the stuff in Boros Burn, like all their creatures cost one. It's just a really low slung format. So I'm I'm sure she's popping out of sideboards here and there.
1: Yeah, there's plenty of options for her to be to be shooting at. And if you find yourself in a game where her minus one isn't useful, then that plus one is probably solid and she's going to be have a little longer lifetime on the table. So yeah, that's a good choice um, to hang out there. Sigarda's uh, Aid, uh, the commander card, commander edition of this, you got a CMR, CMR is uh, the commander legends copy. This is the one mana enchantment that gives all your aura and equipment spells flash, but you know, it's quite popular in EDH, and at the same time, we're seeing Hammer Time do pretty well in modern week week over week. So, uh, I mean, these copies are just drying up a little bit here.
0: Cigar to is from Elder to Moon. It got a promo pack, Core Set 2021 reprint, and it had a pre-release card, obviously. And then the Commander Legends version you'll find on TCG Player is actually from the Commander decks that were released alongside uh, Commander Legends. So... There aren't that many copies floating around because they weren't part of very, like mass cracking operations anytime recently, and given how well Hammer Times doing, as you said, not surprising to see these copies starting to dry up. I think Eldritch Moon copies are still at ninety three listings on TCG, but this card used to be under a dollar and now it's at eleven. So people that held in, into its popularity are doing just fine. God, was it that much of a
1: change? Oh yeah that's a lot uh
0: grim hireling extended arts out of the commander uh adventures of the forgotten realms product non-foil of course because there's no such thing as foils for those going from about five to eight that's like 68 percent gains but i think these are headed for probably something like 15 this is a deceptively uh multifaceted utility card for edh play especially you know six seven eight level edh play not C D H probably. But the card generates treasure tokens, so it's got ramp functionality, and there's a lot of treasure related stuff coming out these days. So token doublers and the like will get give you, you know, double usage out of that part of the ability. And then being able to sack that stuff to kill creatures and do it with minus minus as opposed to destroy is also very handy to have, um, if you've got a bunch of those tokens lying around. So. Uh, Not super surprised to see that making a little bit of motion.
1: Yeah, I mean, I presume looking at this card that it's based primarily on just getting to create two treasure tokens when you deal combat damage. That works especially well with double strike um, or first strike. So you can potentially hit four tokens in an attack, I believe, Uh, but quite tasty, quite tasty.
0: So far, it's in 9% of all black decks since it was released.
1: It's uh, I mean, that's going to come way down, but it is a cool effect if you're playing a treasure token deck, especially if you're playing any of the effects that double it, man, you can get a lot of treasures off of that pretty quick.
0: People are excited about Robe of Stars, for instance, uh, out of the AFR Commander product, and that one is 200 decks behind Grim Hireling on EDH rec. Hmm. Sarkin Unbroken Foils, this is just the regular pack foils, going from 22 to 38. That's on the back of app popularity. I can confirm I've sold multiple Sarkins lately. Regular pack foil, Mythic Edition, selling well. Um, and a great card to be getting out of while the getting's good. So mm-hmm. price, price them aggressively and take your money while you can.
1: That's interesting that this is seeing that much play. I don't, I don't think of it as being like... A particularly good or compelling card but i suppose it works i
0: mean it works in a five color dragon deck for sure yeah because yeah. it just gives you bonus dragons that can interact with all your dragon cards right um right, right. prismari command foils at a strict this is just pack foils going from five to about 850 headed for 15 plus i would imagine um seeing plenty of play in modern in a variety of different decks um both mid-range and control oriented and It's got that same Colgan's Command vibe. It was compared heavily to the card uh, upon its reveal, and they're very similar, so not super surprising. Lightning Skelemental Foils out of MH1, a card that did not catch a reprint in MH2, and occasionally shows up in in Modern to do work in uh, a bit of a rogue deck. Um, Going from 10 to 18, I've certainly got some of these lying around, so if I have any chance of exiting them, I would be happy to do so
1: yeah i remember you uh you picking these one particular Mm -hmm. week i don't know i don't know what week it was off the top of my head but we definitely talked about that because it was having quite a little
0: moment there it was a cool card i want to say it was winter of 2020 because i think that's about when that deck showed up it was somewhere in the first six months after release that people were rocking the skelementals here and there for a little while then it dropped off the radar almost entirely for about a year and then popped back up again this spring, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Hmm. I will take your word for it. I don't remember all that well. Uh, Memory is not my strong suit, but uh, it was uh, a fun little card there.
0: Uh, Descent of the Dragons uh, foils out of Dragons of uh, Tarkir nine to eighteen. Again, that's Tiamat. Ditto Draco version from FTV Dragons, which actually has pretty sweet art. Um, foils there going from sixteen to thirty-four.
1: Oh god. I would love to send to the dragons non foil to get there. I bought a stack of these back uh when I guess these are like four bucks. Oh man. I'm getting we're getting there. We're getting there. I bought them back when uh Battlefield Thaumaturge, was that the card was printed? Yes <laughs> where it made yes, yes, your yes. like your cards cheaper when you targeted stuff, yes. so the you would get like four or five creatures in the play, and then you would target Descent send to the dragons, which just cost two mana, and you turn a board full of like one twos yeah. into a board full yeah. of dragons.
0: So, uh, I think I was looking at sending those into CK, but it wasn't quite there. Um, but I did send in Dragon Tempest because my in on Dragon Tempest was about a dollar 40 or so, and CK was giving 260 credit on them. So, I sent them hmm. 36 of those last week. Oh, well, that's nice. Uh, moving right along, we've got Higure the Stillwind out of Betrayers of Kamigawa. Foils going from 78 to 210. That's because Kamigawa is back on the menu. It's been rumored for months, and today they confirmed it. We're getting Kamigawa Neon Dynasty, which is Kamigawa 2000 years in the future, which will basically just be Cyberpunk uh, Kamigawa ninjas and whatever but that means that a lot of the original cards can't be reprinted in that set they might end up as box hoppers or fancy versions or something alongside but a strict reprint in the main set is very unlikely since the characters are all dead and gone so this will be some of them their descendants will show up like for sure an umazawa will be in this set there's no way that's not happening yes Um, so you can expect in the same way that dragon cards took off due to tiamat Every, now that everybody knows for sure we're going back to Kamigawa, expect additional pressure on ninjas and spirits.
1: Yeah, I and uh, I think uh, last week I had some picks that were kind of based around this, and they with the they did make the comment that they didn't plan on having mechanics return. Apparently, um was, uh, they said or they said all new mechanics. So it seems unlikely we're going to get ninjutsu or arcane or any of those effects um although you know you you see the picture and that looks very ninja-y so i think that the mechanics will be different like ninjutsu and so forth but the creature types at the very least ninjas are going to come back
0: i would imagine so... they'll give the ninjas like some kind of hacker type ability right like it'll be um a cyberpunk version of ninjutsu where they're hacking the system or shutting people down whatever
1: yeah yeah i'm i'm not going to guess at it but yeah so it would probably be something sneaky and stealthy in that regard
0: steam vents uh guild pack original foils the first ever printing of the blue red shockland dried up around 80 now the closest thing you're going to find is somewhere between 200 and 240 and i looked all over the place doesn't matter where you're looking you're going to have trouble finding this card I'm mm. a big believer, I think we talked about this once a few months back, that our original Foil Shocklands are probably, were definitely a buy six months ago, and now that you see the motion proving true, might even still be a buy. I, I think that this is the kind of card where this will eventually be a $1,000 card. And the, the thing that would really drive that home and make me feel good about a purchase in the mid-hundreds would be if they did indeed split out EDH and basically banned Dual Lands, Thereby making uh, fetchlands slightly worse because they have less things to fetch, and shocklands that much more important because the the strictly better version would be absent from a lot of tables.
1: Mhm. Mhm.
0: Now you um. you can make the counter argument that it's already absent from a lot of tables, and that's kind of the issue: is that one guy in the group shows up with, uh, you know volcanic island in his deck and everybody else is stuck with a steam fence but strictly speaking i don't a i don't believe that that actually makes a huge deal difference at the table Um, but it would still matter in terms of the culture in terms of people feeling like they whether a volcanic island is aspirational will largely depend on whether the play group you tend to hang out with agrees that that's something you guys are all going after because if everybody's like ah you know we'll just go along with the new rules if said new rules every ever materialize then you aren't gonna have a lot of reason to be chasing those thousand dollar cards Uh, so i i i i believe
1: that these could all potentially be four or five six hundred dollar foils for like mint versions possibly you know maybe even close to gradable yeah, I mean, my, I guess my problem is your liquidity is going to be ultra low, but I there will be, you know, as long as it kind of the game continues to grow, the collectability of this stuff will move with it for the most part. And, you know, that the Netflix, they said it's coming to Netflix next year, I think, right? So, I mean, that can definitely drive, if they stick the landing, that could definitely drive a lot of bodies into the
0: hobby and increase the likelihood of collectibles moving up the chain here. We also have space, uh, shocklands coming, but we'll get to that. Mm-hmm. We'll get to that in a little while. First, well, I mean
1: there, there there are so many variations of the Sh- shocklands at this point, right? And we're going to get more. So it's just the original, and then everything
0: else. Yep, I would say dead and gone foils from Planar Chaos seven to twenty four on the back of Modern Play and Fire and Ice foils from UMA. I think we talked about this last week about how the UMA ones were lying around at a dollar to two dollars because they were commons. Well, not anymore. Uh, folks heard us talking, and there was probably some buzz out there already. And now they're ten dollars, so that's nine hundred percent gains if you can unload them, minus fees. Oh, wow.
1: that's a nice little turner on there.
0: And I so I went ahead and put a little note into the Discord because, given all of that, and that Fire Nice is a consistent four of in a couple of different lists in Modern right now. Um, time to look at those etched foils. I have one in front of me on my desk here. They look pretty good, sleeved up, and one of the things that's very relevant for the modern players: the etched foils don't curl, so they're probably going to catch up at some point.
1: Well, yeah, I I would agree with you that they're clearly the less lesser popular, less popular version uh, for the most part. But that doesn't mean that on a good on a good move on a card like this, that there won't still be room for them to do some work for you down the road.
0: Those M promos have also pretty much dried up that we referred to last week or the week before. Oh, have they? Uh, So moving on to top Magic Online movers of the week. Tarmogoyf, after Jund won the challenge, jumped from 2.81 ticks to 4.9, so that's uh, almost 75% increase. Endurance promo Borderless, that's basically the same as the Borderless showcase from the paper version, going from 28 ticks to almost 60, that's 100% gains. Oof, that's a That's a nice one if you got in on those early. Wheel of Misfortune from Commander uh, Legends, 1.72 ticks to 3.6. That's 110%. I don't know of any reason for that to be moving other than EDH. And then Torpor Orb, uh, based on some modern sideboard play, being relevant for a bunch of creatures in the format, going from uh, New Phyrexia copies, going from 2.62 to 1016
1: Okay, so it's fun to see Tarmagoyf on there doing some movement. Uh, Torpo Orb, too. Hmm. That's a blast from the past.
0: I guess it's just things that come into play whose abilities need to be shut down at this point. So Yeah, yeah,
1: I believe that. Makes sense.
0: Okay, swinging on over to cards to watch. Plenty of goodies this week. How about I kick things off with the first sliver Old Border Foil out of Modern Horizons 2. So let's see if I can... Bring this up here in front of me, uh, because when I was looking at it during research, it was looking pretty solid. Uh, yeah, we're looking at near mint foil total listings on TCG, something like 67 listings. No major walls. I think a couple of vendors have five or six copies, but well, well up the ramp on those. I would imagine that getting in on this near 18 and planning to get out in the $35 to $40 range, say 12 to 16 months from now, is probably going to work out pretty well for you. This is an old Border Foil version of a must-include in any five-color sliver deck for EDH. Gives all your sliver spells Cascade. Cascade's a fun mechanic. Uh, Card looks great in person, and yeah, this is only a couple months out. And the other thing to point out is that the MH1 old border foils are not available in draft and set booster boxes, only in collector booster boxes, so their replenishment rate is significantly less on the major platforms and vendors. And if we look at the latest sales, I can count 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, There's like, just in the last week, we have well over 20 near mint foil sales. So that's a pretty solid drain rate on a weekly basis.
1: It, listeners, just two listeners will recall that last week I expressed a little hesitation over a lot of these old border foils um, because, well, I was jazzed about them. The sales data didn't and supply didn't seem to be backing up the movement in the way that, you know, I and others may have anticipated. But. If you know I'm checking the TCG player sales on first sliver here for these old border foils, and that's a pretty good, a pretty good sell-through rate, um, higher than most of the other cards that I recall having looked at. We also know that Wizards is continuing to support slivers because they showed another sliver promo today. It was it was Sliver Hive Lord, I think. Um it was one of the promos they announced. So we're getting more sliver action in the future. Uh the first sliver is obviously a phenomenal card if you're playing slivers. So you know, I, your your timeline here is still probably pretty solid, even if it's not tomorrow. Um, Slivers are also a tribe that I feel like attracts. Well, I want to say attracts older players because it's an old tribe. But at this point, I don't know if that's true anymore. It, regardless, eighteen bucks for these old border foils is quite low. The the. Sell-through rate seems quite solid, and with a very low rate of replenishment here, um, these seem like they're pretty well positioned moving forward.
0: Slivers are the 8th most popular EDH tribe, according to EDH Rec. It goes elves, dragons, zombies, goblins, uh, vampires, humans, and then slivers.
1: Yeah, and you're not buying, you're not building slivers EDH without first sliver.
0: I missed wizards in there vampires wizards humans and then slivers and yes you're okay. not you're de- you're almost always building five color slivers because you need them all and you're always including the first sliver
1: yeah i don't know that you'd have to pick a non-sliver commander to go on less than five colors right every other sliver commander legend is five colors
0: yep i think that's true as well
1: um okay so my first pick for the week i've got a couple couple for you I had set, well, so let me start here uh, with Yuriko, the Tiger Shadow, the Judge promo. So Yuriko is actually the fifth most popular commander, just like period, which kind of I, I, I remember seeing this pop up over and over again, but I didn't notice until today. I was like, oh, yeah, this card is actually a very popular commander right now and has been for a little while. Um, it's also a really good ninja. And if you build a ninja deck, you will put Yuriko in it. Uh, there is an etched foil of Yuriko with a fairly high supply, but I don't particularly care for it. Um, the, and the judge, the judge Promo was the only like, normal or good foil. It came, And it's, the Judge Promo came out in 2019, so we've got some pretty good time between us and the original printing there. Before, I don't think we're getting another you know, large dump of inventory here. Um, these Judge Promos... Unless they do something wacky with it, you can get the Judge foils right now for twelve bucks. Uh, looks like there are there's a, a, a reasonable smattering of copies. There's only twenty three vendors, which isn't a lot, but a couple people have over ten. I see a fourteen, a thirteen. Further down, I see an eleven. So there's some inventory out there. There's probably like maybe sixty copies on TCG Player, but we know Judge foils trend up kind of permanently over time. Uh, it's a popular commander that's you know we know we're going back to Kamigawa. It very much looks like there's going to be ninjas, even if there's not ninjutsu. So I expect attention to be paid more to Yuriko in the near future. Twelve bucks. Uh, I think you're going to see price tags in the thirty to forty dollar range probably um, later later on. Probably not this year, but by the end of next year, I would assume as much.
0: The only thing to consider here is that there's probably a secret layer Yuriko coming our way when they get around to Kamagawa. that just seems too tempting for them to dodge and even though they gave us the foil etched in fall of 2020 they probably won't be scared to throw it in a, a secret layer back to back I mean there's there's some cards revealed for today's secret layer that are have caught recent reprints within the last year year and a half so certainly possible um, but there still might be a window here because now that everybody knows about Kamigawa and it's a confirmed thing, and the you know the hype train is is, is moving, you still got several months before previews start, and Yuriko could do a lot of work during that period. Well, I you know I certainly
1: wasn't um, unaware of the possibility of a secret layer version, and I had a couple thoughts. One being that it doesn't necessarily mean that. Um, well, it's certainly possible she could show up in a secret layer. They have a lot of options. There's a lot of old ninjas that desperately need reprints. Um, I mean, like, you look through the top, you know, 20 cards in that tribe, and, like, half of those cards are over $20 because they've seen one printing, and it was Plane Chase 2001 or whatever. So they have a lot of choices for secret layers, Uh, and I don't know where they're going to go with that. It's possible that they just shove a bunch of this stuff into, like, the – showcase treatment or something like that as some sort of additional product. But uh, there's that, there's the fact that it's a judge promo. So even if they do a new treatment, like it's still the judge promo. So you've got that angle. And if it's a secret layer, you know, if they announce a secret layer around the time that Kamigawa is coming out, those aren't going to be in people's hands for how long, right? Like it takes a couple months, as I believe, even from the initial sale date. So you've definitely got some windows in there. Even if they do put it in secret layer
0: where people are still going to need copies and those won't be in their hands yet. The other good thing that could happen here is that when we do get to Kamigawa, they give us another awesome blue-black ninja commander. And, Yur- oh, yeah. and Yuriko gain, like new fresh life is breathed into the card if people are like, Well, I'm going to try building with the new commander, but I need a copy of Yuriko in the deck because she's still awesome.
1: Oh, yeah. That, I mean, that's entirely the thinking here is... Like, we just had the year of Commander. They've slowed down on their Commander printing this year, but they still give, you know, relevant Commander cards. Uh, And there will be, you know, Commander products with new Commanders when we go to Kamigawa. So the odds of not getting a decent Ninja Commander or, or two are quite low, or... The odds of not getting one are quite low. So I fully expect there to be a cool ninja commander or two that people want to go build. And they're going to go put Yuriko in the deck because Yuriko is one of the best ninjas to have in a ninja deck.
0: Yeah, you just got to hope that they don't... It's not a mono blue or mono black commander. You really want it to be two colors so that you can get that to unfold the way you want it to.
1: Yeah, you look through the history of the ninjas they have printed and it would be... I mean, they, I mean they will probably put a monocolor one or two in because it seems like they've kind of done this sort of let's do a multicolor one and then like a, a, a separate kind of nifty monocolor one but th- they'll definitely put some some various some multicolor commander ninja nin, ninja commanders in because it, it needs it all
0: right so my next selection is scion of the ur dragon i was surprised to note during research that there are only two versions of this card it was originally printed all the way back in Time Spiral, and the only other printing is Commander 2017. Commander 2017 is four years ago, and it only was in one of the decks, and it dodged a reprint here uh, this summer. Could have showed up in the Tiamat deck, but didn't, and it's been slowly draining out ever since. You can currently get these around ten bucks on TCG Player. I think ten to twenty is very likely, given the continued popularity of Tiamat. And just the general popularity of dragons, right? Like I was just talking about the top tribes. Dragons is the second most popular tribe with 7,000 decks reported on EDH Rec. And that probably means that there are more like twenty or 30,000 dragon EDH players uh, around the world. Could be even more. So Scion fits in all your five-color dragon decks, lets you go search up silver bullet dragons to take care of specific problems. And that is a handy ability to have. We're down to 38 listings. Uh, let me see. It might be lower near mint. 24 listings near mint left on TCG player for the commander 2017 version. Ramp is pretty steep from just under 10 to up towards 15. And I suspect very much that in the next 60 days, this is probably a $20 card. I
1: did not realize that this card only had the two printings. Nope. I thought for sure it had an extra printing or two somewhere in there.
0: Nor I, but it's in 44% of TMAT decks and 60% of the Ur-Dragon decks. It's got no obvious reprint venue based on everything we just saw uh, thrown onto the bonfire for the next year and a half's worth of sets. And yeah, it looks, it looks good.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I, I'm I'm on board here. I like this as a choice um, just by virtue of how few have been printed. Like you take a good dragon and you don't print it for four years. That price is going to start to go up eventually.
0: Like foils sometimes, Spiral, or... 130 plus right i would say infinite (laughs) and and they didn't reprint it in time spiral remastered so uh none for you
1: yeah yeah uh okay so i also went looking for some i wasn't looking for ninjas because of return the kamigawa and i went looking for some cards for innistrad last time a week or two ago i talked about werewolves this week i'm talking about vampires Honestly, there are a lot of choices to go after for vampires. I had like four or five picked out as possibilities. I I landed on these two, but there are a couple choices here, especially depending on where you're shopping, because there's some that seem like if you can get a store off the beaten path, you might be able to find some really good options. But to begin with, I'm going to talk about, we have a lot of planner 2017 cards this week, actually. Uh, New Blood. Uh, I I didn't even really realize this card existed. Um, new blood is essentially control magic for vampires. It's a form on a sorcery. You tap a vampire and you gain control of a creature and that becomes a vampire, which is pretty nifty. So you steal someone's creature and turn it into a vampire so you get your tribal synergies. Control magic is a pretty potent card. This is currently sitting at about six bucks. Um, it's not in a lot of decks. It's only in like 2.5k, two, 2 which is just not a lot, right? I totally, but it's also only got about 35 copies left on TCG player. Uh, That's not a lot. Um, We have a new vampire Innistrad, two Innistrad sets coming. There's going to be vampires in there. Uh, So people are going to be building more vampire decks, putting this card in there. And I'm looking at the non-foils here. I think they go from six to 15. I think this is one of those cards that probably doesn't get reprinted. And ends up in double-digit price tag because, you know, people want to build vampires, and a couple people buy this, and there you go.
0: You also have fresh commander decks that probably have a vampire theme this fall from Innistrad Midnight Hunt, right? Uh, let me see. Because I think... Yeah. 38 new cards from those decks. So probably some some sexy vampires. There's also another interesting thing about this. The Commander 2017 deck that we're referring to, where this card comes from, is the Edgar Markov deck. The Edgar mm-hmm. Markov deck is $292 on TCG player market. But yeah, is it that much? So it's not like you can just snap off a $40 copy of the deck to, to crack one of these out. If you're trying to get your hands on this card, you gotta buy the single because you're not buying the deck just to get it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I it's I think it's a quiet card that's mostly gonna go under the radar and people aren't gonna pay too much attention to it because, like, in the sense that like it's not something a lot of like speculators necessarily are gonna be looking for. It's just gonna be out there. Then it's gonna be a non-foil card that casual players are going to buy because they, they read it and know that they get to steal something and suddenly they're it's going to be a 15 or 20 dollars non-foil card good from a Commander Good
0: example of a card where you want uh jimmy and josh on the command zone to talk about upgrades for the vampire decks on their upgrades video and pull this up on screen mm-hmm. and then move 50 50 copies instantly
1: yeah i would say that that happens in the card is, is 20 bucks
0: all right, so moving right along to my final selection of the week, I've got Crashing Footfalls Foils. And I'm actually kind of surprised these haven't already moved. And I'm also surprised that we didn't have it on a list recently. Um, I mean,
1: we've definitely talked about this
0: card in the past. But I like, think you... I think it was summer 2019 last I brought this up. Uh, I, couldn't any, yeah. right. I couldn't find it anywhere in the year five. couldn't find it anywhere in the year five spreadsheet, so I think it was year four. Um you can, there's 37 listings left. It was only printed in Modern Horizons 1. There is no reprint in Modern Horizons 2, which is obviously a nice nice situation to be in. Ramp is pretty steep up towards 20 You can still get copies in the $10 to $12 range. This is a four of in Footfalls in Modern, and the deck is constantly in the top eight. There's no avenue of reprint other than a rando secret layer where this is likely to show up. And this doesn't really seem like the kind of card that makes sense in most secret layers like thematically they're not going to do a rhinos thing mm-hmm. and they're pretty mm-hmm. unlikely to do a suspend thing i mean it's a possibility but it's like in the realm of many many possibilities at this point especially since we know that with the you know the multiverse um, licensing side agreements that's going to take up a bunch of the mind space in terms of what they're going pre- gonna to present Um, you know they talked about street fighter and Fortnite today we'll get to that in a bit so you know if they take up a slot in a given month with that kind of stuff it's just you know even less opportunity for some of this other stuff to get handled bottom line crashing football's foils are going to dry up so i think calling them to go say 12 to 28 or something like that in the next six months seems very reasonable
1: yeah, I, I'm I'm kind of surprised as you are at kind of where we are with the pricing on this, um, that it hadn't moved much. It's it's a solid card that keeps showing up in modern, um, and I could see it doing that for years, honestly, until something changes. Uh I also am not clear where they would print this. I'm thinking about it, and you know these the cascade cards, or what, I shouldn't say cascade the, these costless cards show up very rarely. Uh double masters 2 that's, would be my best guess yeah,
0: because it makes 2 244 four rhinos so it's a cute little yeah. cute little include there but that's not till next summer. Yeah, so you, and you got time. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. So like I think I think there's a reasonable chance you see it there but at the same time uh that's a ways away. I guess so. You, you, you. I would be buying these with the plan to out them before those spoilers start. I think.
0: Yeah. So I, I think you're you're looking at a six to month, nine month timeline on these, and you might get out much much earlier if Shardless footfalls keeps doing well and LGS, enough LGSs manage to stay open that there's actual paper play going on and people are building decks, then you know snapping off a couple playsets now, looking to out them in four to eight weeks seems very reasonable. Yeah. All right. Your final yeah, selection. We'll
1: uh, I am finishing off with Patron of the Vein, another Commander 2017 card, same deck, the Edgar Markov deck. These were, are currently about 10 bucks. Patron of the Vein is a six mana vampire that blows up a creature when it comes into play and then puts a, whenever a creature an opponent dies, exile it, all good, all good. And you get one one counter on each vampire you control. That's doing a lot of stuff for you, right? So uh that's a very potent card destroys an opponent's creature exiles it and is going to start buffing all of your vampires about 40 vendors 60 copies this is the only printing of the card it's excellent in vampire decks uh again no secret without without a secret layer here like what else is what else is happening right like people are going to buy this card because they need it and the price is going to go up and you're going to be in good shape
0: there's also things like kindred dominance, where you choose a creature type, destroy all creatures that aren't the chosen type. Um, choose vampires, destroy all the opponent's creatures, and then put a plus one, plus one counter on each vampire you control for each creature that died.
1: Yeah, I, it's there's so many good choices here. Um, That's
0: a good way to win a game.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's uh, so. It, the, the the patron of the vein is my pick, but there's a lot of vampire cards. I think that you can go after that are all pretty solid. Um, but this one's ten, and I and I think the non foils because that's all that there is can hit twenty twenty five bucks just on a, a good run uh, with the new Innistrad sets coming out here.
0: Yeah, you you really want people to be particularly excited about some new vampire commanders this fall, and that seems in, incredibly likely to be true.
1: Mhm mhm yeah i i mean the essentially what would you say the most or second most popular tribe yeah they're going to give you another commander too especially with Edgar Markov having held that slot for so long
0: vampires are the fifth most popular tribe and about to get you know have strong headwinds or tailwinds that help them along so the uh yeah my sailing knowledge is clearly getting more advanced <laughs> uh, moving right along to our pro trader selection of the week we've got grand slam breaks he's been pestering me for weeks to uh, highlight marari's wake showcase foils at a modern horizons 2 you can bet your bottom dollar he probably owns some but that doesn't change the facts here under 50 it's listings <laughs> under 50 listings on tcg you know a consistent theme with these great mh2 premium cards under 50 listings, under 50 listings, and we're only three months out. That's a real good place to be. Um, this card in particular is in 22,000 decks on EDH Rec. You can currently get copies of the Foil Borderless Showcase over in Europe around $14 all in. Uh, that's already represents a bit of arbitrage between potentially buy listing them or selling them on TCG Player or eBay or just waiting it out and looking to go 14 to 30 to 35, say in the next six months or so. Looks pretty good. Um, the most I could see you having to sit on these would be a year to a year and a half, and you might get lucky and go off in half the time.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is solid. And we were looking at this before the cast. I think that um, I think it's a solid pick. I think the timeline might be a little long here. Um, just based on there's a decent supply of them on TCG players. So I think it's a good pick. Just it's not going to happen right away. But if you're buying them in the EU and you're already five or six bucks cheaper than TCG low today, that's a pretty good place to find yourself.
0: He had also pointed out, you know, some of the other premium versions are worth comparing. Like every other version of this, other than the judgment version has the same art. So this is the only truly premium version uh, in terms of having an alternate uh, border setup. The there is a pro tour promo. There's only like seven listings left. The market price on those is close to sixty. So, you know, the Commander 2017, Commander's Arsenal pre-release and conspiracy copies don't matter a whole lot in the face of a borderless version with great art.
1: Yeah, I like. I mean, I'm partial to the old border foil, but uh, I would agree that across the board, the showcase one here is probably a better bet.
0: Old border foils start near mint around 240 so
1: oh the original well yeah. they did a reprint too right didn't they uh, or my error was that just the original one that i noticed yeah
0: i think it's the original one you were looking at
1: um, uh what is this product oh the, the the theme deck okay yeah i guess it was i saw that and I, got, I think i thought that that was like a time spiral remastered reprint or something oh you know what it was I saw the judgment and I saw this Moto promo and I thought the Moto promo was reprinted in Time Spiral or something. Gotcha.
0: So anyway, $25 gift certificate for Grand Slam breaks. Uh, Congrats on that for a very solid selection in cards to watch. Alrighty, sliding on over to segment four topic of the week. I mean, what are we not talking about this week? The Wizards dropped a massive bomb on Twitch this morning in more than one way. Um, revealing the <laughs> huge product slate um, for the rest of 2021, all of 2022, and a little bit of information about what happens even in 2023. Um, nothing super surprising here. I mean, they've already already had us warned or there had been rumors about most of this. Um, you know, certainly the two big themes are um, some a, a return to... Past characters and planes, for the most part, in the standard legal sets, Um, more of the same kind of thing you would come to expect from the ancillary products, and the expansion of the Magic the Gathering multiverse um, for their universes beyond concept with a bunch of licensed products, including some new stuff that we hadn't heard of before. But before we jump into the product slate, I gotta say, did you watch any of this presentation? No, I wasn't able to. You got to go back, and I wouldn't subject you to all of it. I don't think you could stomach it, but you got to give yourself like the first 10 minutes of it to really get what I'm talking about here. It was, I think, the most cringe-inducing production they've ever run.
1: (laughs) That is a claim, buddy. (laughs) I'm
0: giving them some credit because it's COVID, and nothing is simple right now, especially for this kind of production. I watched a little special the other day about... Saturday Night Live and how they pulled it together during COVID, <laughs> and it looked like there was a lot. Of, the the underlying theme there was battling with mental health while trying to produce top tier content, <laughs> and I think that a lot of content creators have probably struggled with similar issues this year. Um, understandably so. All of that said, they gotta stop putting the senior staff with limited to no media training on the hot seat with the hosts it's just terrible and i don't really understand why they feel the need to do it it's not like the staff tend to provide very detailed insight or add anything that the hosts couldn't have tackled just by being handed their talking points and the entire thing was 100 scripted and so everybody's reading cue cards but the writing was meant to be like fun surprised casual and that does not work when it's scripted with cue cards because you're like oh my god i would never have imagined that set would be next like you you just have to have you just can't
1: I, I like I can I can picture it like I know what you're saying because I remember watching something else they did and they kind of had that going on and I think it was when they had like Jimmy and Rosewater and like mm-hmm. someone else and it was like this could work if everyone knew how to act but no one making cards at Wizards is an actor so it looks like this it's uh, it's real rough I, I, gotcha. I gotcha they
0: should they should get, switch to a format where they just let the hosts. Ask natural questions. Make sure that they are brought up to speed on the products and all the relevant talking points. Let them, give them time to do their research. Make sure that the the staff know what the questions are going to be, so they're they don't they're not going to get like, get caught with any curveballs. Set the boundaries in terms of what they're allowed and not allowed to talk about, and then just let them have a normal, natural conversation. Like it doesn't need to be. They, they did a thing where the hosts were like, oh, Aaron Forsythe, what's that over there? Let's go look, Becca. And then like Becca and Jimmy run over to the side and they switch camera angles. And it's it's Mark Rosewater in a space suit introducing yeah. the next unset. And Mark's like yelling at the top of his lungs from under a space helmet. It's like, no, no, no <laughs> okay. more. of That this. is funny. No, that no is more funny. of this, please.
1: <laughs> yeah, I like, I don't know. Re- it does seem like, look at the way Marvel does it and Apple does it and these other big companies that have these releases where they just put people on a stage or have some other like prepared sculpted presentation where they're not trying to pretend like it's a different format than it is. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, or like look at E3 shows, right? Like where like Xbox and, or, you know, Microsoft and Sony do presentations and like those have their moments it's Ridge Racer, but like other <laughs> than that, <laughs> other than that, those are generally the way that you do big product announcements where you have a slate of products to chew through.
0: But but here's the thing: one of the reasons that they continue to use that kind of presentation format at E3 and similar conferences and online reveals and what have you, despite many of those staff not being. Uh, even if they've been trained not necessarily being naturals for those kinds of presentations and sometimes looking awkward, um, is because they're often adding layers of technical knowledge and detail about the build-out process or design process behind an extremely complicated product, and they're presenting to an audience that really, really cares about that stuff you know like somebody's going to go on for like 2 minutes about polygon count and there's going to be people in the audience that are like nodding and like grinning and like just lapping it up because they're revealing some new gaming engine or whatever i don't think with magic using that model is as necessary because <laughs> the like how do you get the how do you get the the food in the can is not really all that interesting and they're also trained or coached to not really tell you the truly interesting tidbits it's all very Hasbro marketing fluff oriented. And again, they have competent hosts Beck and Jimmy, it would be fine on their own. Like they're still going to be a little cringy because of the the scripts they're handed, but those are competent performers. You can put them in front of a camera, tell them what they need to get done. They'll get it done and it will go get it. It will come across about as good as it possibly can, given what they're being tasked to achieve. But mi- yeah. mixing them with, I think it was the creative director um, that they put on stage and she was so awkward the entire time I felt for her <laughs> like I was like please for the love of Gideon get this woman off stage and save her from was this her
1: was this live oh,
0: probably the you know the existential dread she will feel when she goes back and watches this later and and the potential damage to her career when her her bosses see her you know kind of fumble why put them in this position it's just she added nothing she didn't really talk about they say stuff like you know we're really excited to see how uh some of these characters are going to play out in a mob environment and i'm like mm-hmm. yeah just a pointless deaf sub-step of the fact that you're glorifying mob violence but sure yeah <laughs> i'm glad well, you're excited yeah. about it i mean S- oh, yeah, sopranos t- was 10 years to 15 years ago but great let's get right on that you- theme
1: are you talking about a, a Italian Ravnica? Yeah. yeah it's um, I, I suspect there's a couple aspects to this. One is you have some of these people whose egos are probably tied up in it. They, they enjoy getting to have, you know, once a year, twice a year where they get to go on camera and be popular and be a face. Part of it is probably that they think people want to see them like, oh, people interact with Rosewater and Forsyth and all of these people on Twitter. And it's fun for them, for the viewer to be able to feel like they're seeing and talking to the person who makes the game. Right. This is like that person. They don't feel remote. And part of it is probably that they're not paying their PR company enough money to tell them how to do this correctly.
0: They have done some pretty reasonable pre-recorded segments in the past, where whatever snafus went on on set were smoothed over by, you know, retakes and smart editing. If if it's me in charge of that, that's how I'm handling it. Like I mm-hmm. just let the introduction of each thing be a a one minute vignette, and then go back to Jimmy and Becca, and they'll do just fine. Yeah, I, now their insistence on doing that stuff is beyond me. But it, it was it was rough. It was real rough. Anyway, so. The product slate, on the other hand, you and I clearly... I think you represent a pretty big chunk of the audience. I probably represent another chunk of the audience. Let's tackle the the facts first, and then we'll get into what we think about it. First, we have the standard sets. We know we've got Innistrad Midnight Hunt and Crimson Vow, September and November of this year. There was some question as to whether there was going to be a big Commander Legends-style Legends release for Christmas, like would they would try to push... Yet another surprise, um, you know, superset into the mix. It doesn't look like that's the case. If if they're doing that, they've, for reasons unknown, decided to keep it well under wraps here. So for now, it's probably safe to assume that's not happening. Uh,
1: I I would. I'm just gonna add a, a small bit of in, insight here. Is I suspect that the lack of any real product at, uh, this year, other than Instrad, is probably supply chain oriented. Would be my guess. Okay. and like
0: it's. Yeah, maybe. I mean, keep in mind they're they they moved a set forward, so if they're having supply chain challenges, you know whether that had been Commander Legends two versus Innistrad Crimson Vow, you're still got to do all the same stuff. So yeah. it's it's more that they you know they moved up a, a standard set. So we were figuring like maybe that there's really good reasons for that. Given the schedule the way it's positioned, I'm not seeing those reasons. Right in the in the standard slots basically one per quarter. I think this lineup looks pretty strong. We've got Kamigawa, Gawa, Neon Destiny in Q1. We've got Streets of New Capenna, which is like a 1920s 30s gangster movie, as you said gangster Ravnica.
1: It's, it's it, it no, I said Italian Ravnica. <laughs> I was specific in my word choice. <laughs> I
0: think a lot of not <laughs> Italians would take issue, so I'm not going to join you there. Uh Second quarter is New Capanna. Then we've got Dominaria United in Q3, which could be Phyrexians invading Dominaria. And then the Brothers' War, which is probably the one I'm most excited about. I've always wondered why they took so long to come back to this concept. Like, I I talked about something years ago on Cast that I called Adventures of Urza, where they could just go back, kind of post the Brothers' War, and just show a bunch of stuff Urza did uh, along the way. And they didn't think they would have any trouble selling that set. That seems like they're finally realizing that the Urza Mishra conflict and kind of the the protogenesis of the Phyrexians is actually some of their stronger IP, and we're finally gonna get a chance to mess around with the next fall. I I would hazard
1: a guess that they weren't sure how to do it correctly, or because those characters at that point in time were of a power level comically higher than what we see in magic today. Um so that I mean, that could be kind of what's going on there. But like, h- h- how do we tell a story about characters that like don't fit on a magic card, essentially?
0: So there is uh, an indication as to why Innistrad Crimson Vow was moved into November from potentially January. And that is a product that they've dubbed Innistrad Double Feature that is going to be an LGS-only product in early 2022. If I'm guessing, based on looking at the rest of the schedule, I'm going to think that that's probably February, um, that we're going to see that. And it's basically the same two sets again, set up for drafting. So it's basically a mix of the two sets in the same box. And then they're adding a bunch of other... And they all have a special treatment, but it's not clear if every card in the set has the same Uh treatment. I
1: thought it said, hold on, let me pull it up. I thought it said every single card has the
0: special treatment. Uh, It says combine select cards from two separate sets into one unique. Special art treatment on every card. Yeah, featuring special art treatment on every card. Now, my, my quick interpretation of that based on the black and white box image they showed us that is very like 1950s classic horror movie tropes is that the special treatment is black and white.
1: Yeah, I so the thing is, is if they do a double feature draft set and they redo the artwork for every card, that's a huge left. That's my thinking. So I'm thinking that maybe that they don't redo the artwork for every card, because again, that's a ton of effort. And instead, it's a, like essentially a product full of showcases.
0: Well, I think they're going to desaturate the cards.
1: Well, r- right, right. So but like, it's going to be essential. They're not going to redo the art. They're going to give them a special frame and just print them in black and white. So it's going to be the same art, just gone the grayscale with a different frame. Right. That's so, my guess. So the,
0: the color colorblind people won't care at all. Um, the people that are people that are hyper color sensitive will be <laughs> complain, or and the tournament hawks will be complaining that people are going to use these black and white cards to, you know, s- distract people a la Dryad Arbor shenanigans. Um, they didn't give us the full information here, but given the way the packaging looks, I think those are reasonable guesses as what as to what's going on here. There was some discussion in our Discord today about like, well, why should I buy or invest in the original boxes if you're just going to give us even fancier versions later? Mm. My answer mm-hmm. to that is that th- they're missing the key point. The most attractive part of the Inestrad product in the fall, both you know, both of those sets, is going to be that the collector booster boxes are going to have a bunch of box toppers. And the box toppers are not going to be cards you're going to see repeated in the double feature. The box toppers will be stuff that's not in those sets, but was from previous Innistrad blocks or is thematically appropriate, like older versions of Sorin or Olivia or various werewolves and zombies and vampires and whatever. And I suspect that they will not, there will be no duplication between the premium stuff it's going to be a bunch of cards from Midnight Hunt and Crimson Vow that may or may not have had a premium treatment via showcase in the fall boxes. And then when they get to double feature, like you said, maybe it's a, a frame plus black and white thing going on that gives people another alternative. So this is, this is interesting because they're basically daring you to not buy variants on the same product from september all the way through to march or so so it's basically all in innistrad for about almost six months it's a long time yep so this is long it's time. a bit of a it's a bit of a risky play I, I would expect that these sets are pushed again um i don't expect them to pull back in a situation like that it seems very much like a situation where you want to print some very powerful cards so that they continue to sell because otherwise you're going to have a steep roll off the cliff and you're going to have a sales gap in Q1 2022.
1: Yeah, if you do this the same way they did AFR, where the power level was low enough that the only people really buying it were people who cared about the setting and not everyone else, that's going to be awful when you have a such essentially a second major release of the same product. Yeah. So ju- juicing it will get people to go back to it. Yeah, it is it is kind of weird, though, the way they set that up be, for exactly what you outlined. And it's going to end up in a situation where the double feature is going to come out, or at least the full spoilers for the double feature will come out, and then everyone will turn back around to the first releases and go, okay, which ones didn't show up th- and look good? This
0: is also a very ballsy game plan, given COVID. Like, I, I would not... If somebody had had raised this product at a at a product pitch session, I would have said... No, 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 no. Why would we put our eggs in the going back to the LGS basket if we don't know how many people are going to be able to actually do that? Like, don't we want to yeah. don't we want the Q1 product to be something that will sell well on Amazon, regardless of whether people can play in person?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm right there with you. And I had the exact same thought. And they talked about like the F&M, the bunch of the F&M stuff. And store promos and things of that nature. And I'm like, ah, somebody took a gamble that we were all going back to the card store a little sooner than they should have.
0: I think so too. So they did confirm Commander Collection Black for this fall. So I think last year we got access to it end of September, early October, something like that for Commander Collection Green. The debate was is it Commander Collection Blue or Black? Uh, Black seems appropriate, given that everything else is in Innistrad this fall. And they they showed us all the stuff that was included there. Uh, Let me just see if I can bring up those cards. I had a picture of them on hand. Uh, Yeah, so Commander Collection Black is Liliana Heretical Healer. Very notable because it's a single DFC in a small print run ancillary product. So that means DFCs being thrown into random products is no longer a problem. Um, Ghoul Collar Gisa, Ophiomancer, Phyrexian Arena, Reanimate, Toxic Deluge, uh, a fancy new soul ring, and a command tower. Phyrexian Arena, Toxic Deluge, obviously the biggest heavy hitters there, but we just got Toxic Deluge and Double Masters last year. Phyrexian Arena does need the reprint. Uh, art is good. Not super amazing. These will probably sell well, but I don't think it's as exciting as the... Uh, commander collection green was with sylvan library in it
1: yeah i was also struck that it seemed like uh a sort of lower power
0: choices for commander collection black
1: um not what i would have picked
0: now they in terms of the biggest ancillary releases of the year they've announced three things uh well four I, i only consider two of them to be super relevant the two most relevant are Commander Legends 2, which is a Dungeons and Dragons-themed Commander Legends battle for Baldur's Gate. Baldur's Gate is a city in one of the major settings in D&D. Um, and of course, they made a video game that I certainly played. I don't know if you did, but lots of people have. Um, and the I'm, I'm interested, or a little surprised, that they were so confident in the D&D crossover that before they had AFR results, they were already committing to this. Um, now, it's Commander, so it's going to sell fine. <laughs> it's not going to have any trouble selling because it doesn't matter whether Magic players are particularly enamored with DD lore. It's close enough to Magic lore that it's not really all that different from our usual nonsense anyway. And it's a Commander Legends product, so it's going to do very, very well indeed. Um, and then in Q, that's Q2, so probably something like April. And then Double Masters is Q3, so I would expect that July or August, the next summer. Double Masters 2022, so that's Double Masters 2, more of the same. Um, expect two box toppers, expect two rares, and or Mythics in every pack, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And it's a good idea to try to figure out what kind of reprints might be in there, because they rebounded pretty well, um off that last printing given the price point of the product and boxes of double masters are up over 500 on tcg now by the way are so our, our, our group buys on those are looking better and better we've actually got a new uh, kind of a late late group buy on those that's that's supposed to go off tomorrow um to clean up some of the inventory over in europe that i think is gonna be a, a kind of thing where people can pay for the whole year's membership in one go
1: I, I know that it felt like only a month-ish, maybe two months ago, that we kind of started picking Double Masters cards, and there's actually a bunch that I'm still not, like I'm still interested in, but I'm not moving on yet, uh, because it feels a little too early. So, you know, if Double Masters is Q3 next year, it feels like that's right at the tail end of when that product will really have dried out a little bit. I I wonder if that's mostly just because the speculator community and which is you know definitely us went so hard on it, but also I have trouble imagining that that community was able to you know essentially double the volume of sales as they might have expected and cause that. I don't know, and I guess I'm saying it feels a touch early. Like I feel like it's one year too early for DXM again.
0: Apparently, it's a multicolored draft focus. So that will inform some of the choices, surely. The yeah. The other thing they've two sets they've announced that I think are less of a big deal uh, is Jumpstart 2022, uh, which is going to be I think they said 46 new themes if I'm not mistaken, and they alluded to Hydra as being a theme and Eldrazi being a theme. So you can probably expect some of the better Eldrazi to be chase cards um in whatever the good version of the eldrazi deck is like you'll you'll pick get an emercool if you're lucky in, in the same way that there was three or four chase mythics in the last jump start um as long as they don't add foils to the mix there it doesn't really matter much um is unlikely to be a, a big deal one way or the other
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah it was uh Yeah, I mean, I really, I think the first jumpstart was only particularly relevant because the supply got messed up, right? Yeah,
0: so this time you can, I, I would expect supply chain issues to be largely worked out. And that means that the cards probably won't charge as early or as hard. And they probably won't have those price memory floors that will, you know, dictate how subsequent trailing supply is interpreted by the market long and the short of it is, the cards probably won't be as expensive as they were the first time around. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, Rosewater shoved through another unset.
1: I mean, at this point, I don't I don't even know if you could really blame him for that or not. I, I, I know that he spent a long time trying to get, what was it, the second one through. I'm not sure that, uh, that he had the twist on his
0: arms this time. It's a sci-fi space carnival themed bonanza the two financially relevant details they released are full art basic lands that are set in space so picture a mountain on mars and shock lands set in space which will likely be the financial anchors of the set yeah yeah so uh, all in all i think that's a pretty solid slate don't you uh, in
1: what context? Put, put, like, putting
0: aside thematic or whatever stuff we're about to get into, but just in terms of is magic going to survive twenty twenty two with solid sales?
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think. I mean, I think that the highlight here is their standard product. I think pe- people are interested in Kamigawa. Uh, you know, I'm not wild to see essentially electricity, but um, it will have some interesting themes and designs in it. Uh, I mean I think new Capena is literally just gonna be Ravnica again um, w- under a different name so that'll probably do pretty well if they handle it well. Dominaria and the Brothers of War are both going to tickle the fancy of a lot of players um, being you know very established. So in general their standard set is I think the strongest part of this announcement.
0: All right, so let's get on to some of the more controversial includes. They probably worth noting that there are pioneer challenger decks being released before the end of the year. So, I mean, these were probably planned way back. Who knows if the market even exists for these currently in LGSs? I'm I'm going to be very curious to hear feedback from store owners in our discord about whether the pioneer, like whether, whether they even tend to stock these based on whether they're running pioneer in the stores these days.
1: Well, I thought, I thought this was interesting. I don't know if there's going to be market for them initially. But to me, it signaled Wizards saying we're not done with Pioneer. Like, we know it's been kind of quiet lately, but this is still a format we care about. Um, so signaling support for it is meaningful. And by virtue of releasing the product, people may be more willing to buy it simply because it seems like it'll be more relevant. It could also be product that was kind of stuck in the hopper that they're just cleaning out. Because they need to, so it could kind of go either way. Well, if they
0: sort sell very poorly, you could easily see it fall off the agenda and not get Pioneer Challenger decks next, next fall. They might rethink the entire approach to the format. Maybe try to to tie it more closely to what they're doing on Arena, although that's getting increasingly tough with how divergent the the two uh, approaches are getting. With them adding all sorts of crazy older cards into uh, Historic the the other thing that they can you know reconfirmed because we'd already heard about this in the past was that universes beyond is going to get the warhammer 40k for commander precons in the second half of 2022 they're edh legal but they're not legal anywhere else so i don't think it really matters much the uh
1: it's interesting because it's uh the first time guns i believe are in magic There was like one card from homelands that had a gun but this is basically the return of that
0: well alexis jansen our one of our mods and obviously ex-wizards employee was posting on twitter today talking about how warhammer is a pretty problematic universe oh yeah. yeah and fan base and is this really a license that you know forward-thinking magic players would are, are dying to jump in on like i think there are some interesting aspects of their lore but a lot of it is very nihilist. A lot of it is very body horror. Um, a lot of it is pretty grim, pretty dark, and I can appreciate some elements of it. But overall, not super excited to see that that license extended. I think it's fine here, as you know, some stuff they're gonna that mostly is targeted at being sold inside. Uh, stores that handle more of the miniature side and less of the TCG side as a way of, you know, a potential brand extension worth exploring. I don't expect it to go very much further than that. I don't think you're going to get a full set of Warhammer uh, based on those results. Now, I think this other one that they revealed for 20, sometime in 2023, I'm going to guess summer 2023, but we'll see. Lord of the Rings, Tales of Middle-Earth, draftable, full set release, from universes beyond and it's going to be modern legal so you'll be able to kill people with Gandalf and Frodo and Sauron and the Witch King and it's funny that they were talking about this today because I just went back and watched all six movies in the last couple weeks and then did a bunch of deep dive research on YouTube from lore smiths that have been trying to figure out what the Amazon series next year is going to be about and I'll certainly say that they're timing this one correctly for once. A lot of this other stuff, like they announced the Street Fighter and Fortnite secret layer drops, rolled my eyes super hard at the Fortnite drop. It's like uh, if you it, if you guys had done this at the peak uh, uh, at the peak of like Fortnite plus Ninja three years ago, sure. But now,
1: it when then they first announced like universe is essential universes beyond like what, what was the very first secret layer we got with off branding was that godzilla no
0: walking dead i think
1: well okay but godzilla was godzilla was the first licensing that wasn't a secret layer but it was the first licensing and i feel like there were jokes made at the time that we were going to get fortnite magic cards and they were made like tongue-in-cheek but with an acknowledgement of like that they might actually do this crap, and here we are, just the most. Hot. I mean, and the thing is, Fortnite is has no identity either. Like that's also just a giant pile of pop culture references. Yeah, it's it, there's just there's nothing there, and it's I. I don't know. Uh, I'm trying not to climb onto my soapbox, but it is frustrating to see, not only bridging out into. Other pro- licenses and properties, but picking the like most worthless, just greedy cash grabs of any of them that I could pick, right? Just properties with just with no
0: inherent value. Right.
1: Like Lord of the Rings makes sense to me if you're going to do this, but Fortnite.
0: Yeah, Lord of the Rings and D D are basically forerunners of our lore. Like our lore is already a bastardization of that lore you know D- D&D is basically stolen from Lord of the Rings and magic was stolen from D&D so the that's that kind of chain of of brand extensions makes sense Warhammer is a very different look and feel uh, Walking Dead I never agreed with Fortnite I played a lot of Fortnite I understand that that was a massive mega brand and still is quite a large brand but you know its moment has probably passed and are they going to pull in the quote-unquote youth of today with this move probably not yeah i was gonna say do the the kids even play Fortnite like they used to like you need to show me a 22 year old that just started making money and you know get them to tell us if they're planning on buying extra copies of the secret layer blah 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 because Fortnite merchandising has made plenty of cash you know like ninja's got his own private ninja stuff in target or Walmart or whatever. And Fortnite itself has a bajillion brand extensions. This is just one of hundreds that they've, the you know licensing agreements they've put together. So do I think it's dumb? Yeah, I think it's dumb. Do I think it matters or like represents an injury to the brand? No, not at all. Here's the thing. I'm only going to get worried about this magic universes stuff or universes beyond stuff when it's replaces the core narrative. When the standard sets jump the shark and start featuring planeswalkers working with Luke Skywalker, then I think we have problems because I think that it is, that would be a foolish move. But as long as it's like this ancillary short time of term availability product kind of thing, I don't think it matters at all. Like, look at the Walking Dead thing. There was so much negative chatter about blah, 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 like... Why do photo reel? Why do Walking Dead? This show's over. Blah, blah, blah. Zombies aren't blah, blah, blah. And I went on and on about how, you know, one of the characters was especially problematic because of his intense rapey vibes and, and various terrible acts uh, of unkindness and malice in the show. But ultimately very few of those cards ended up mattering. Like, people were complaining, oh, Rick is going to be this billion-dollar card because he's playable in Legacy Humans. Dude, nobody plays Legacy. And it didn't matter at all. And you can still get Rick's, no problem. And so I think most of this stuff falls along those same lines of, you know, is this are these admirable moves for the brand? No. I don't, I don't think any, any of us are super excited, except those people that are specifically targeted by these things. And that's the whole thing, right? Like the whole point of Universes Beyond is that not everything is for you. We're not trying to, and and I think it's also true that they've given up on completionists. I don't think they expect the average magic consumer to be buying some of everything anymore. They, they just don't care. They just want to boost overall sales, overall profits, expand the brand, expand the reach, get you know more overlapping Venn diagrams of fan bases. That's the goal. If you choose to opt out on the Fortnite stuff because you're just your eyes are rolling too hard and you can't find your keyboard, that's totally fine.
1: So, if Magic was new, if Magic had come out six years ago, I wouldn't care about any of this crap. Uh, because, like, if we had, like, if Flesh and Blood essentially in year two or year three starts doing this stuff, who cares? Because it doesn't have a legacy, essentially. But Magic's been its own thing for so long, and I know that it's essentially like a you know essentially ripped off a combination of like Lord of the Rings and D and D and bits and pieces and it pulled all that stuff. That's fine. I mean, it it was a uh, it was referenced by its own culture at the time it was created, and that's fine. But and obviously they've taken cues from popular media and the stories they tell. I mean, Innistrad was a very clearly like, ah, we can't afford Twilight, so here's our twilight um which you know, I have mixed feelings about some of those but generally it was always within magic's brand and it maintained that for so long for so long it was essentially an island which in in the frame the context of media today is truly remarkable like what what media property out there that's worth more than, I don't know, you know, $20 million hasn't been touched by Marvel, right? Disney owns everything. Every movie is a sequel now. Nothing is original. Everything is just a cross-contamination. Four years from now... Uh, the culture of ministry is going to tell you that every piece of media has to pertain to the federally approved list of 25 media properties. And if it doesn't, then the Disney cops are going to arrest you. Like we are moving towards essentially a black hole of cultural and and, and media properties. And then for this period of time, magic stood alone or it was one of the few things that got to stand outside of that. And it's just the, the bulwark is broken and obviously that happened like with Godzilla, right? That was the first domino. And this is just a continuation of that. But back then we're like, I remember saying like, it's not that Godzilla is a problem. It's the, what Godzilla is an omen of. And I mean, Fortnite secret layer is that. So is it a problem that Fortnite exists in the secret layer? Like, no. Does it suck to see yet another thing that, you know, I enjoyed that didn't have Avengers in it? become that property. Yes. I don't like that. I like that it was its own thing and that's gone. And for the time being, Standard is going to maintain its own, you know, their own wizard stuff. And it will probably be that way for a very long time. I wouldn't be surprised if they never put, um, if they take a very long time, if ever to put licensed product in Standard but I mean, when you have all of this ancillary product, which I, I mean, at a, at a card for card level could theoretically outnumber standard cards at some point, like in terms of like, you know, this year we're releasing 700 or 800 unique standard cards and 900 other cards that are, you know, a series of reprints and new cards that are all licensed. It's just like, I don't know, you just that, I feel like we've we've lost something. there. I think
0: that last point is the only one that I really agree with pretty hard. If they sell, if Magic, if Universes Beyond stuff sells especially well, better pound for pound than their normal stuff, that's how things get worse. That's how you get, if the Fortnite thing sell is the best-selling secret layer of all time, which I don't think it will be. But let's just say that we're underestimating the overall reach of Fortnite as the, at one point, biggest video game in the world. And how much bigger that is than Magic and therefore, that even if only 1% of the interested parties participate, there's, it's still going to outsell all the other secret layers. If that kind of underestimation goes on and it does extremely well, then yes, that pushes them to do more of it because the executives are going to be like, well, Ov's ah, money. However, to your earlier points, I actually disagree pretty hard that I see it completely the opposite. You said if Magic was a younger brand, you would care less. I actually see it the other way because magic has a long history and a very strong established set of lore and ip um, they're less vulnerable to the contamination from this other stuff i don't actually agree that flesh and blood can diverge into Fortnite right now because they're still building their lore up currently i don't give any fucks at all about what i think is extremely derivative flesh and blood lore Um, I find, we've talked in the past about how Flesh and Blood is very kind of generic fantasy tropes. There's nothing really new and exciting going on there. Most of what's exciting about that game is mechanical and play pattern um, based. And so for them to just jump the shark and go straight into a Fortnite set as their like sixth release or something would just throw the whole thing so off balance, Um, especially because a game like that uh, everything's in, in print. Everything is legal at all times, and everything stays in print forever. So, yeah, I I, I think that what? I think that as long as magic keeps it to the sidelines, it's like their side gigs. It's fine. Is you, you once once you start you, seeing like Rick steadfast leader, um, and Fortnite car. You know, if there was the thing about Fortnite is that Fortnite secret layer drop is just going to be reprints with Fortnite art. So. That's different than, say, the Warhammer EDH decks, which will be polluting EDH tables for twenty years um, with space marines running around with guns. Yes,
1: I, 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 yeah, I mean they are they are different in that regards. I agree, but we we are essentially asking different questions here. You're saying Flesh and Blood doesn't have the brand strength to withstand adding that licensed product, essentially.
0: Doesn't have the IP strength.
1: Yeah, yeah. Which I'm not debating. And that wasn't my point. I wasn't saying that, like, it, it could survive that. It was more that, like, it's a new brand, so I don't care if they right. You're
0: talking it. about your, your commitment to the brand and whether you feel like it betrays what you want to do with it.
1: Well... I mean, you make it sound very, very personal in that regard. I just like when you have something that's that's newer and not established and doesn't have a legacy that's like literally older than many of the people that play it. um, You're not you're not you're not protecting anything. Right. Like there's no sanctity, something that's only been going on for a couple of years, has no tradition and no value in the longevity of it, whereas magic is a what, like the longest running tabletop paper game in existence, uh, or like, or, you know, obviously there's stuff like Monopoly Chesco, like, but you kind of get what I'm saying, like, right, this is a, this stands alone as a brand. So you've lost, it's not that the game can't withstand that. I, I mean, I, I agree that it can, and it will probably make more money having done it, at least in the near term, but you've lost something less tangible, I would say.
0: You can also give, there's pretty good examples of, you know, the biggest TCG, Pokemon, uh, has a tighter control over their look and feel. Uh, And that's for a very good reason. It's the number one selling entertainment brand of all time. It's the Coke of video games slash TCGs. It's a brand that transcends both of those mediums, and as a result, if they're going to do something like a World Cup card as a Pokemon, it's Pikachu playing soccer. It's not a ultra-realistic real, human Pikachu with yellow hair playing soccer. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, they mm-hmm. have brand guidelines and they stick to them. You're not going to see Pokemon meets Warhammer anytime soon. They... So, in terms of the brand custodianship that goes on, I do think that this universes Beyond approach weakens... The focus of the brand, it makes it a little harder to uh, convey the appropriate messaging to the ultimate target audience you expect to spend the most money with your brand. Instead, they're going with a scattershot, you know, shotgun approach of a little bit of everything for everybody. You know, like Bo Burnham says, a little welcome to the internet, a little bit of everything all of the time. Um, and that's very much what's going on here. Yeah,
1: I, I, I understand that some people are going to just call me magic boomer. I'm like, that's fine. Um, but I, 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 I just feel like there's you, you, you can never put the genie back in the bottle. This is one of those scenarios. Well, it goes back in the bottle.
0: If this all sells very poorly.
1: Well, I mean, yes, they can reverse course. And I made that comment to Corbin today because Corbin was like, everyone should stop complaining about this. And I'm like, ah, that's not fair at all. Like being frustrated with the direction the game has taken over in the last two years on a 30 year IP is not unreasonable. And if everyone says this sucks, please stop it. And it doesn't sell great. Then they do. They stop making them. But you, but if if we hit 2024 and all this stuff sold like crap and they don't do any licensed product anymore, great. But you still had this five-year window where all this stuff leaked into the game and you can't unprint the Walking Dead cards. Like, it, it happened. So, and I mean, at, at the end of the day, does any of this matter? No, I guess not. It's just it's just a bummer. It's, it's just a reflection of my frustrations with the greater world taking place in this microcosm
0: yeah i mean ultimately i'm not gonna i don't care if you table a Fortnite card i'm not even gonna hassle anybody about a Fortnite card it's just not enough of a divergence to even give a shit about when i'm just trying to eat chips drink a beer and play with my buddies now there is one thing buried in all of this kind of behind the scenes, because I was thinking about, you know, Fortnite and that's, you know, connecting with a younger audience potentially that they might be worried about bringing into the game. And that led me to some questions that I'm much more concerned about (laughs) than this brand custodianship stuff. Um, How are they connecting to the youth of today? Speaking as a Boomer Magic player, we got real problems in terms of, whether we are currently as a brand generating enough um, late youth nostalgia that is likely to carry forward into purchasing power years. And the reason for that is kids, a lot of kids were pulled out of school, junior high, high school, online learning, can't meet up with their friends, not as fun to play, you know, commander at the lunch table when there's no lunch table and you got to wear masks while you do it being generally discouraged from going to your LGS or your LGS shut down or uh, has been closed for a long time, or they've got a lot of restrictions in place. And maybe, you know, if your LGS is running drafts, they only let eight people in the building at a time. A lot of this stuff pushes, you know, sure for the 30, you know, late 20, 30, 40, 50 year olds that play magic, just having cards to fondle in our house while we're sitting around doing nothing during COVID has been fine. Like that's, what's kept the brand alive, but it's really hard to build up that nostalgia with a brand new player if they don't actually get to experience the game in any meaningful way. You know, like the, the commitment that we all embody towards the game, the, the whales, the collectors, the completionists, etc., that have been around for years and years in the game comes from earlier experiences where we played more often. We played in diverse circumstances. The first time you opened a booster pack in a store and got a really great card and got to show everybody. All those experiences are very absent right now. And I very much wonder whether there is a future sales dip five, ten years down the road just because you have an absent micro generation that just never got to play the game. Well
1: Hmm. I mean I, I totally hear your concern. Uh,
0: it seems that seems very sounds localized to COVID. Sure, but how long you know, we're already pushing into two years here. And and that's assuming Delta is the is the only <laughs> and I put only in quotes, since it's still extremely problematic even if it stopped at Delta. But we're so unlikely to stop at Delta, given that there are so many countries in the Southern Hemisphere, especially, that where COVID is running rampant and they can't even keep up with potential variants at present.
1: Uh, I mean, yeah, like, I don't think COVID's going to go anywhere anytime soon. Like, that, we, we're in for a while on this one. So that will maintain. I do wonder if maybe some of those experiences are going to be different than the way we have them, but... They may still happen. Um, you know, I remember going to F&M every Friday night with my friends for a long time and kind of building up that sort of collective social experience portfolio in that manner or playing around the lunch table in elementary school. And, the you know, now it will be. Oh, like we got together at Joey's house and we played EDH and we had, you know, we pulled up, he brought his new deck type of thing and his
0: mom made burgers or whatever, right? Like it's going to play out a little differently
1: than it did when we were younger.
0: Well, I'm super, I'm super super curious if you're right about the playing at Joey's house and his mom made burgers because the, you know, I was reading an article the other day about how universe, can Joey call us? us (laughs) Yeah, please do. Universities are real scared because lots of students are choosing to push off and requesting uh, deferrals instead of showing up to school this year, which means way t- billions and billions of dollars in lost revenue for the, the money-hungry school systems. And, you know, that whole post-secondary experience and even in, you know, high school is radically different for kids in the 16 to 22-year-old range right now. Radically different. You know, like... <laughs> My my frosh week was like the three being tied up in three legged races with people of the opposite gender you didn't know and having to like slide down oily hills like the the straight up frat nonsense. These people can't even get together, you know, without social anxiety and hang out and know that they're safe and they certain and a lot of them are s- straight up not going to school this year, so. I'm very curious if that means more or less magic getting played in those age brackets.
1: Well, I mean, COVID is a problem for this to begin with. And then you add on this additional layer of when, I mean, even you go back like 15 years, 10 years, um, the ecosystem for technology entertainment was much less robust. You know, people, I, we didn't have cell phones in our pockets all the time. We didn't do Netflix all the time, right? Like it was just a little different. It's not that it didn't exist, right? The internet, I was using the internet in seventh grade, which was essentially, you know, after I had started playing Magic. But it's just like the that level of entertainment and the way people engage with that now is different than it was when we were younger, even though we are part of that sort of internet Generation, so I mean, even if you took COVID out of the picture, there's a lot of questions here about this, because we engage with physical stuff way more than I think these kids do. You know, that when we were younger, I mean, again, now I really sound like a damn boomer, was like putting together bicycles and putting, you know, <laughs> hacking them apart and putting together, making dumb bikes and like putting sails on bicycles and I mean, you know, frankenstein I, and crap whereas now I see kids all the time walking around groups playing Pokemon go. Like that's what we would have been doing, but we didn't have that. So we did other stuff.
0: I mean, given, given fear of COVID on buses, I'm sure there's been plenty of bicycle creation (laughs) during COVID, but I, I, I take your point anyway. And I do wonder whether I would love to see the demographic breakdown on, 18, 18 to 24 year old demographic in terms of brand engagement on arena versus paper and compare that to say the 30 to 39 year old bracket. Um, I suspect it's heavily skewed towards arena. Yeah, I would not doubt that. You know, like they're, they're, I would not doubt because that because the digital generation that came after us is far less concerned with engaging on the physical side. You know, if you, if you grew up staring at your phone in bed for four hours a night on social, you have a different perception of what constitutes healthy social interaction. Uh, as is being underscored by lots of of good art being created these days. Um, anyway, I, I think that's a pretty solid uh, roundup of the product announcements today. Of course, we also got the secret layer... Um, the new Secret Layer Super Drop, but we can probably tackle that one next week because it's a a three-week cycle, so we've got a little bit of time, and I'm still writing up my analysis.
1: Okay, I can live with that.
0: Alrighty, so where can people find you online, Travis?
1: Uh, I am on Twitter at wizardbumpinbumpin. B-U-M-P-I-N. You can come hear me complain about the fall of the Western Empire and magic and all that
0: on a daily basis. You guys can find me on Twitter at mdg critic, as well as via occasional articles on Price.com and my constant haunting of the ProTrader Discord. also like to remind our listeners to check out the Pro ProTrader service for just $9.99 a month or $109.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MDG finance minds in the business, and a super active Discord forum that would drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. We've got, uh, I think, Double Masters, Mystery Booster, Retail Edition... Uh, a bunch of other sealed product going on sale tomorrow. So lots of good reasons to be a pro trader this week.
1: Oh, that's good stuff. Uh, once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all the best and cool stuff in stock, including all the best and magic Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast uh, that brings us to the end of 289.
0: So we'll be back to talk about more magic next week, I think. Thank you, Travis. We'll see you all next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance.